Hello, everyone. Welcome to the California Association of Tactical Officers podcast, where we discuss a variety of SWAT-related topics. We believe tactics are a science, and the art is in how we apply those tactics. My name is Marcus Sprague. And I'm Brent Stratton. Hey, Marcus. It is a pleasure today to have Ted King here with us. Uh, Ted King is somebody that we both respect professionally, and we're fortunate enough to have a, um, a friendship with as well. Ted is a commander um, of his SWAT team. He's a lieutenant. He is also the co-owner of Alpha Safety Solutions. Um, he is a graduate of Cato Strategic Leadership Program, and he's just got a sharp tactical mind. And it's great to have him here to be able to uh, to chat with him this morning. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Appreciate you guys inviting me. So uh, I asked you to be on so that we could talk a little bit about the balance between independent decision making and direction from the commander or command post. And Brent, you're a lieutenant. You've had a pretty busy year uh, on your. You've had some pretty unique challenges that uh, we could probably spend a couple hours unpacking uh, just some of those learning lessons. But from your you and I's point of view as lieutenants, Brent's point of view as a deputy chief, and and then both of us are fairly new lieutenants, so we can remember being a sergeant and doing the fun part. And right. talking about, you know, how we go from the end state, which is defining what success looks like to our concept of operation, the commander's intent, and to when we want our folks to stop and ask permission to give direction and when we don't. And, and as your perspective changes from an operator to an assistant team leader, team leader, to uh, the commander or the mission leader position, and then from the executive and and how your perspective has changed in your experience and what that looks like on your team. And again, it's a little bit different each team, but I think these are questions you should ask before the event takes place, because in my opinion, I always kind of look at them like friction points. And our job as uh, SWAT teams is to bring order to chaos. And the reason right. why we're special weapons and tactics is because we have special weapons and tactics and we should be able to bring a level of discipline to that chaotic situation that because we get to train together more that patrol might not be able to do. And so I look at friction points and that's always going to be moving people, maneuvering and communication. And so the more I can reduce those friction points with my team, then the only real friction points that happen, the chaos that's injected is from the, is from the suspect. And so I kind of wanted to talk to you about you two uh, on your position on that. And obviously starting from the end state, what success looks like. And then uh, uh, the once you define that, the foundation of all planning, whether it's an emergency or pre-planned event, then we go into what we want it to look like, the concept of operations, your intent. And how do you balance those two things? And in your experience, uh, Brent and Ted, what, what does that look like for you? What are some lessons that you've learned that we could share uh, with these other folks that are listening that may be coming up through positions on their team. I know hey, there's a lot there, Brent, you want to start? Yeah. I, I know from my perspective, um, this is something I'm still grappling with to be honest, Marcus, in my own career, I'm relatively new um, in my position and being able to transition my thought process and mindset here has been difficult for me. Um, you have a perspective from being on the team of how to um, how to solve a tactical problem and that, looked a little bit different to me as the commander and over the last years i've transitioned to um a, a different role within my organization um as an assistant chief it still looks a little bit different and so the nature of the conversations have have changed a little bit and to a certain extent sometimes the three perspectives are mutually exclusive between um, the team, the commander, and from the executive level. So I think it becomes even more imperative that the end state and the commander's intent is really firmly established with the commander and in the executive in this, in this regard. I think that one of the things that's important too as it relates to the overall functionality of the team is for the executive and especially the commander to conduct after action you know not just reports but reviews um, with the team to be able to come in and explain the perspective of why something happened or didn't happen um, from a decision-making perspective and i think having the humility 
And the willingness to be able to do that really leads to um, an improved, hopefully an improved morale and an understanding. And if not, it definitely creates an opportunity for learning and training and decision making. But I think it's equally as important for the executive as well as the commander to be willingness or have that willingness to just listen as well and listen to the perspective of the team because they are the ones that are going to have eyes on the problem. They're understanding what we're doing and it's going to help kind of lead up the chain. Marcus, we've talked about that before to, to use a, a phrase from, steal a phrase from extreme ownership, but leading up the chain and providing that that training for me as well to, to be trained up on what they're seeing and what they're thinking, what they're doing. And that helps challenge and shape my own thoughts and my own decision-making. So I think it's a complex issue, at least for me in my own mind, because I'm, I'm seeing how I've, how I've grown and how I've developed and the mistakes that I've made um, in, in that regard. So um, it's my hope that whenever I'm communicating with the commander on these type of things that, that I'm clarifying and nailing down end state stuff uh, with, with, with him and hopefully he's in turn doing it with the team and, and uh, in a point where it doesn't impact their ability to, to seize their initiative and not have to call back and ask mother may I for everything that they see and do. Yeah, I, I think real similarly, Brent, the, uh, I, I think that almost developing that end state, at least on a tactical situation, like a, a traditional SWAT call out, you know, a barricaded suspect or, or something like that, developing that end state's actually not that difficult at all, you know, because we just want to arrest the bad guy and not have any collateral damage. Um, but where it, where it gets tricky is developing the, those operational objectives to meet that end state. And we end up with some conflict and some friction or some rub or whatever you want to call it between the different levels of, um, of operational assets. So whether it's the individual or the uh, team leader or the uh, field supervisor, or the tactical commander, incident commander, um, what I've found or what I'm finding still, because I certainly have not figured it all out, uh, is that in training, really giving some of that just kind of philo philosophical foundation to those different levels. And hey, this is where your role is. This is your, uh, you know, and going on down the, uh, down the list there, you know, where, what your role is, what your expectations are uh, to, to every level. So what that looks like is, um, for me anyway, I, I'm, I feel pretty strongly with the, the training of the individual, for example, you know, I, I don't, I don't push a lot of uh, leadership training on the lowest level. Uh, I, I don't, I, I, that's going to be important, but it's going to be important down the road. Um, I think that the individual needs to be awesome at what they do. They need to shoot well, they need to communicate well, they need to have, you know, good fitness. They need to uh, be able to communicate with their, um, I'm sorry, to be able to uh, keep up with everybody. You know, they need to be able to understand tactical operations and, and where they fit in. The squad leader, next level up, they need to be the example. You know, they need to be the leader that's out there on the ground uh, that the newer operators can look to, to see exactly how to do things and how to, how to hone their craft a little bit. The team sergeant, you know, is a little different where they're using their folks to accomplish whatever objective it is that we're working on, you know, or within the prioritization of those objectives, uh, tactical commander, same thing, you know, it's a, a level up where we're setting those objectives and we're not necessarily, um, I'm not going to tell the guys you need to go left or you need to go right those are the, those decisions need to be made by the guys that are in that lane, you know, and, and there's, this is a slippery slope too. I mean, there's something where you have to have the training and the foundation to be able to balance all of that and to be able to move forward with that. But uh, it's, I, I don't know. I think that that's kind of the, in, in my opinion, the secret to deconflicting some of those situations where we get people just waiting for guidance and the guidance isn't going to come because it's going to be either poor guidance. It's something that, you know, at the command post, you can't really, you don't have eyes on the problem. So you, you don't have that same insight that the, the folks that are looking at it do, you know, or, you know, the going down, you know, the opposite from that is that independent decision-making. We don't want to be a bunch of cowboys out there where there's no command and control. So, um, so it's a big balance. Yeah. And, and you, you bring up a great point in relation to point of view, right? So until you've been in the command post and you run that op, you don't really appreciate how little you know about the detailed stuff. But inversely, 
you have a much better picture of all the moving pieces because you're looking at the whole chessboard. So you, it's a give and take, right? I have to acknowledge in the command post that I don't know and I can't see, hear, feel, touch, and sense what you are. But you also have to acknowledge right. that I know where everybody else is and you might not. And you see that a lot in teams that maybe move elements all at the same time. You know, you move an element A and element B in this backyard or this area to reach a point at the same time. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but it induces some friction because they may not see each other or know where each other exactly is. And the command post hopefully does and can deconflict out of your sniper or your air ops or, or whatever it is you're using to have that best situational awareness. So I think it's a two-way street and that's the balance, right? And you, you brought up a great point. You can't develop that trust on the fly. You develop that trust in training. And we spend so much time on all the procedures and all the physical things that we have to do that we rarely have time for like a lieutenant for us to go out on our collateral team and practice running the command post. I, I can teach this stuff all day long and that's great, but that doesn't make, doesn't make me good at it. Right. It just means I know what it's supposed to look like. Knowing what it's supposed to look like and making it look like that are not the same thing. And I need the practice, right? I need to practice in running a smooth command post and reducing that friction. And okay, well, I know this team leader tends to do this. And I know this, uh, to me, it's about managing the event before it happens. You know, the, the planning logistics, the, the ways and means, right? How we're going to do it, what we're going to need to get to accomplish it. But during the event itself, I'm, I'm controlling those friction points, that deconfliction you talked about, and I'm controlling the momentum. And I want right. my guys to, I want my folks to seize that initiative if they have a window of opportunity, but you both said it in a different way, but seizing the initiative is something we have to do to win. We won't, we won't win without seizing the initiative. Now the suspect can give it to us or can surrender, but nonetheless, it's, it's us having the initiative at some point. But today's day and age, looking at in California, looking at the legislation and the de-escalation requirements of using force in time and distance, we've, we've got to train our folks to consider that. And that's a that's a pretty hot topic right now. And, and we'll see how it gets legislated this year. Uh, in particular, I, I don't have this answer and I don't want to detract us a little bit. So, uh, but looking at snipers right? And looking at that specialty bias that, that eventually we'll get to. So let's talk right. about, it also depends on where your team is, right? If you have a brand new team leader or do you have a seasoned team leader, it's going to be different. If you have a brand new lieutenant or you have a seasoned lieutenant, it, it's going to be different. Absolutely. I, I, just a quick point to add, I, I think that, you know, that with the majority of teams being collateral duty teams, it's very common that uh, as, as we move up the chain, both on the team or in our in our regular careers those experiences that you get are just they're huge when it comes to your your overall ability to conceptualize what it is that we're trying to do and you know when it comes to seizing the initiative how we seize the initiative is at, at kind of at the forefront of things right now and, and i think that a lot of times that's lost on the actual tactical discussions is that we, we talk about, uh, you know, like, well, we can do this and we can do that, you know, and this is our system or our structure or whatever. Uh, but we lose focus on the fact that there's case law that's out there. There's um, investigative needs that are out there. There's, there are optics out in the community that, you know, all of these influential uh, factors have a say-so in that, in, in how it is that we seize that initiative. We can, we can steamroll something and get to the end real quick you know, but we have to finesse it because there's so much that's expected of us as, uh, as SWAT team leaders, right. Or as a SWAT team in general, because, you know, just like we talk about in uh, our basic SWAT course, law enforcement's under a huge, uh, weight of scrutiny right now, you know, and, it, and that's not going to go away. And it, and arguably it, it probably shouldn't be something that goes away, you know, but the SWAT team is even, uh, under more scrutiny, you know, that, that level of expertise and that, uh, that perfect solution is an expectation every single time we go out uh, because we know what it is that we're rolling out to. So, and, and I say all that, it, it's, I, I am far from somebody who's making perfect decisions by any means, you know, and I, uh, 
learn a lot from uh, my own mistakes as well as uh, mistakes of others. But the, but the idea is that we can't screw up. You know, we have to have that perfect decision. So that's why it's even more important to, you know, especially as a collateral duty team, to have our folks get as much experience as they can and round them out the best that we can, um, but be very clear with what our expectations are and their responsibilities are within their role on the team. And, and it's about trust with each other, right? And, and we all struggle with training hours, uh, being involved in the SWAT team leader and commander course and going up and down the state and talking to all these folks from throughout the state of California and other states. It always makes me feel fortunate that my organization is still committed to letting our collateral team train twice a month because there's still teams out there that don't get to train twice a month. And that's shocking. I mean, I understand why, but I, I feel we do two, two training days a month and then our snipers get their own day. And I'd still say that's probably not enough. It's just what we're going to get. So we do what we can, but the, the, the community that you serve to anybody listening, I don't really care if you're a collateral team or your full, your D platoon or SEB or SAC or these full-time teams that get 200 call outs a year. You could get five call-outs a year or less. They still expect you to perform at the same standard. And how do that's we do that? That's difficult, Marcus, to be, and you guys are experiencing it now from the commander's perspective, that it makes sense. You need to be at the training, too, to be able to see what the capabilities are from the, from the team. But, you know, in a collateral assignment team, generally you're a watch commander. You're assigned to professional standards. You're assigned to investigations. You're assigned to patrol. So you're doing other things on on top of that. And it's difficult to be able to be out there for the training, you know, 20 hours a day. And like Ted talked about, he's not pushing leadership training or some of those things on entry level guys. So there's still basic tactical competence and things that needs to occur during that training. So how is it that you're able to develop your own ability to think critically and to be able to manage widespread events unless you're getting some training um, at a command post and doing that as well. So it might be through decision-making exercises. There might be smaller um, trainings that you're able to do maybe with the team leaders to help be able to develop your own skills or develop them from a succession planning standpoint as well to get them in, involved in some of the, the decision-making. But being able to find the balance to do that as well as meet all of the other things that are going on um, that need to be done and the competencies that need to be trained to, things that are outlined in our, our um, post guidelines for things that we need to train to. So it's it's a difficult balance for the SWAT commander. So hopefully, and that's really the, the um, the basis for why we do this podcast, right? I learn something every time I do this and every person that we interview, I'm selfishly able to uh, to use this as training time for me to help be able to shape and challenge my own thoughts. And hopefully that this podcast helps others do that as well. And that's the real benefit to Cato. That's the benefit to being a member of Cato, to taking part of the strategic leadership program to read the articles and to read these things to help be able to challenge your own thoughts and and these because this is your responsibility as the commander for for your team yeah agreed and, and really what you're saying is that there's no way as an organization or a state federal that anybody can provide you with enough training time to take care of all these things and you're gonna have to take some ownership on your own go out and learn this stuff, learn the lessons, learn, read the after action reports, do tabletop exercises, do decision-making exercises, do that stuff so that when your day comes, you at least have your Rolodex, you know, somewhat full. And also I think what he's saying, Ted, is that it's the deputy chief's job to make sure that you and I get the training and equipment in time to do all those things. And if we don't get what we need, it's his failure. That's what I'm hearing. That's that's exactly what I heard as well. There, and honestly, there is a lot of truth in that, right? So I don't get to go to training anymore. Um, and I've had to force myself to become a lot more proficient with budgets. And Ted and I have worked through some of these things on what, you know, what is our training budget and what can we do and how can we leverage this? And thankfully, we do have organizations like Cato to be able to provide training, you know, team leader, SWAT commander, chemical agent instructor, these type of courses to help be able to develop those things and to be able to find money in the budget to be able to fund those things. So, uh, you know, when you're on the team, you're just, yeah, hey, I go to training and and you don't really think anything of it. And that's a big portion of my day is to try to find the ability to help um, implement those type of things for, uh, for the commanders who can get it for their team. One of the things that we did recently was to try to 
invert the ratio of uh, internal training and for um, new team members. So we had more money to be able to, to uh, spend on some of our more tenured operators to be able to send them out and train with other teams and get information what they're doing and help be able to bring those type of things back. So from a commander and into a, an executive level, that is 100% the responsibility. But I do think from a command and from a team leader and an operator perspective, we do expect you to be able to invest a little bit in your own career. If you're waiting on the organization to have you know, the money to be able to send you to every class that you need, it's not, it's not going to happen. There's mandated stuff. You're, you're going to go, but most agencies don't have the training budgets to be able to do that. So if this is something that you care about and you care about the service to your community and the things that you're, you're doing and your team, you are going to have to find resources on your own. You are going to have to spend some of your time and on effort to be able to, um, to implement some of these things. So that when that, that day comes and that opportunity um, is there in front of you that we're not squandering it and we're not, we're not wasting, we're not losing in those opportunities. Yeah, I agree. I, I would like to add to that real quick too, that I think um, something that we miss the boat on quite frequently is we go looking for training that is this formal traditional training. And that kind of stuff requires uh, travel. It requires, you know, hotels, there's a lot of cost. Um, and the training is usually really good. You know, where I wanted to go with that though, is that there's a lot that's out there that is not, you know, this cost intensive kind of undertaking, you know, like reading books, you know, I, like it sounds silly, you know, and nobody, especially SWAT guys don't want to read books. We want to, you know, send videos and laugh at things, you know, but there are some awesome books out there or, um, you know, podcasts or Ted talks, you know, uh, stuff like that, that you can really go down a rabbit hole on. And there's some genuine value in those things. You know, I, um, you know, talking to, you know, just kind of like a, a philosophical understanding of uh, purpose, you know, or organizational change or, or structures or leadership and uh, management, you know, like those types of things are, they're, they're not unique to the tactical environment, you know, nor are they unique to the law enforcement environment. They're very, very common in business. And it's stuff that uh, if, you know, we are capable of reaching out, you know, across kind of party lines, you know, and, and going out and reading some of these uh, you know, these other fields, lessons learned, we can really bring a lot of that back. Because I think that, you know, we can give all the training time we want. But if we can be super good at all of the skills, but if we don't understand how to apply it properly, you know, or, and, and that changes, you know, it changes per call, it changes uh, by era. If we don't understand how it's going to be received within our community, or within our agency, or whatever, you know, that there's so many moving parts that we are responsible for that I think it's it's up to us to um, to do everything that we can to uh, really kind of grasp those concepts as as thoroughly as we can as we drive the training for our folks. Yeah, and you in the beginning of that you brought up a great point. One of the one of the biggest takeaways I know Brent and I both got from uh, Chief Phil Hansen, uh, retired. And uh, for those of you that aren't my mom or Brent's wife that listened to our podcast. Uh, we did one with Phil earlier, probably one of the one of the just best leaders I've ever met. And one of the things he talks about a lot in his leadership talks is you need to take the time to talk about the big picture with your folks. And we all joined this profession because we wanted to be part of something bigger than ourselves and serve the community and, and different versions of that, right? And it's the same in the tactical community. And and you have to remind, you know, we get caught up in the business of things and we have to remind them, this is really why we're doing it, right? Talk about those big picture things because it sets the culture. And when you set that culture and you clearly uh, define those roles, you're, you're giving your folks, even the new guy, a ruler to measure their decisions by. And, and going back to the balance between independent decision-making and direction, if you don't feel comfortable with your team, are you doing the best that you can do at whatever rank you are in that team to educate the team on the ruler that we should be using to make our decisions? And that's the culture, what's acceptable in my community, case law, criminal law now in the state of California, and, and then how we operate, right? And no offense to you two, but at least Ted and I are old enough to remember, Brian, I don't know if he remembers this kind of stuff anymore, but Hey, when our teams went dynamic all the time, it was a very easy problem to solve. 
because we did the same thing all the time. We didn't understand the train and time behind any of that. And, and I'm not saying dynamics, not something you shouldn't use. You should just know when to use it. And, and we've legislated ourselves out of being able to use dynamic all the time. And so that is an example, that's a cultural change that we went through in our generation that, that the next generation probably doesn't have to go through. I know there's still some teams that do uh, dynamic a lot. I'm a Northern California guy. Uh, we don't go dynamic for narcotics hardly ever. It's just not worth the, the risk, especially with, you know, the, the use of force losses they are. I had the opportunity to going back to your comment about uh, Phil Hansen. I had the opportunity to sit in a, one of the SLP Cato SLP sessions with him and just, just great guy, you know, and, and it's, it's awesome when you sit down and you can listen to somebody talk about leadership or lessons learned or whatever. And it just rings true, like throughout you, you know, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, that guy, that guy gets it. You know, like why, why is it not that easy? Because it seems so intuitive, but there's, I don't know. I, I think that there's just, there's so much to it. And one thing that, that I believe is that leadership is not, uh, it's not a natural trait. You know, it's not something, you know, you, you, we talk about natural leaders and this and that. I don't, I don't really subscribe to that. I, I think that people get a certain level of experience and it sets them up to be better leaders or they've uh, invested some more time into it and actually learned how to do it. But, you know, I, I was a watch commander for a while and I, I still go over and, and, sit in the watch commander chair, you know, for a, trying to pick up some overtime, that type of thing. And, and the, the people that are there are still my friends, but I frequently have these conversations with them where they're waiting for guidance from up above. You know, these are lieutenants, you know, lieutenants that are waiting for guidance for their normal job. This is not even a tactical environment, you know, or something that's, you know, got a bunch of changing circumstances. And the conversation that I've had with them numerous times is, you are where you are because you're trusted to make the decisions where you are. You know, you know what to do. You know, you wouldn't be in this position if you weren't trusted to, uh, to make those decisions and you didn't have the abilities to, to do what's needed. So just make a decision, you know, like even a, even a shot that's not in the tendering, you're probably going to still hit the target. You know, if, if you're worried that you're going to completely miss and that you're going to, you're going to make some decision that's going to sink the ship, then you're probably not, not the person that we need sitting in that chair. I say all that by kind of illustrating the point that people have to be empowered, but they have to understand exactly how to do it as well. And, and the trick to that is not an easy solve. You know, that's, that's more than just tabletops. It's more than going through and, you know, attending training and going and, you know, doing runs through a house or, or marksmanship on the range. It's all of it. You know, it, it's everything. It's, it's bringing all of those experiences and all of those uh, lessons learned and all of those outside uh, concepts and bringing it to how it is that we apply what we do and being able to make those tough decisions and then stand up and say, you know, when the, when the chief wants to know why we did this or we did that, that we did it for a sound reason, you know, because we're not always going to be right. You know, there's going to be times where uh, even though we've got all the best planning and the best uh, intention, we're going to get something wrong, but being able to say, this is where we were going with it and it being a, a reasonable outcome based off of uh, your resources and assets and all that stuff. Uh, that's, I, I think, I think that's where the leader needs to live. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would take it a step further and say, you can do everything right and still have a poor outcome. We can do every single thing right within the law policy expectations with the resources we have and still have a bad outcome because the, the adversary gets a vote. And, absolutely. Uh, and we, and we got to remember that. Uh, I think what you're talking about, is we, we gave specific examples of how we can better address this issue uh, between commanders, you know, intent, independent decision-making and, and the command post direction. And, and we talked about having, you know, talks and training and decision-making exercises. And, but really what we're talking about is it's going to take time. You can't do this overnight. It's not a checklist deal. It's time. It's teaching people how to think, not, not necessarily what to think, not which way to go, but how to think. And that how to think part is the hard part because it's a measurement of your values, of your mission, of your expertise, of your comfort zone, of your boss's comfort zone. So, you know, Ted, you've, I'm familiar with your chain of command for the last few times around and you've worked with some, I wouldn't say incompetent, but, you know, 
some people that might have worked up through the chain so fast that they really haven't bled in the position that they're in too much, you know. But I wouldn't use the word golden boy, but you know, uh, I'm just giving Brent a hard time. Marcus, thanks for the thanks for the vote of confidence there. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm just giving Brent a hard time, everybody. But it, in reality, you know, you're going to work for different bosses, and different bosses have different comfort levels and allowing you to do what you need to do, and that doesn't change for any position. It doesn't change. When you were a sergeant, I'm sure, Ted, you worked for some lieutenants that were very comfortable in chaotic environments and some that weren't. And as a lieutenant, you're going to work for captains and, and captains are going to work for deputy chiefs or however your command structure is. And the chief is going to work for city managers that are completely different and city councils that are different. And so they all have that, that coming back down the other direction. And as an operator, even as a sergeant, you're, you might not even know about that until it affects one day on that one call absolutely I, I think too just to kind of um emphasize your point a little bit too you know it used to be as an operator that uh that we're out there and we're our, our training consists of the the crossfit workouts you know the flipping tires the uh running around with all the full kit on and uh you know all the push-ups and the pull-ups and, and climbing the ropes and doing all that stuff right um but it, it's important to note that our training now even though it's different it still needs to be intense, right? It still needs to be intense where we're out there and we're, we're picking up those lessons learned and we're researching case law and we, we know what it is that our role is and how we're driving the team. And it has to have that same level of intensity. It just looks different. So Ted, as you're talking about the training and the training that you provide, I think, you know, early on in our careers, we spend a lot of time talking about how to do something. And that's the training that we're provided. And Marcus, this kind of goes back to an earlier podcast interview we had with uh, Travis Norton, where he makes the point about how we spend a lot of time training the how and not enough time training the why. And I think early on in our careers coming in through tactical teams, we do spend a lot of time on how to do something and we're being trained by somebody else on how to do something. And that transition, it's not always intuitive to get to the point where we're training why to do something. And Marcus, that gets to your point where we're not telling people what to think, we want to train them to, to think, to have that critical and independent thinking on what exactly it is that they're wanting to accomplish and how it is that they're gonna get towards that. And I haven't seen that that transition is always intuitive um, amongst leaders and it's not always been um, intuitive in a team. So that's definitely a, a little bit of a challenge being able to get to where, where you wanna go. Hey, uh, I know Brent's running out of time. He's got some things to do this morning, but I, I wanted to touch on this one phrase, Ted, that you uh, stole from the medical community. And, and I really liked it. It changed the way I look at that stuff. And, and I struggled with this a lot myself in my journey for leadership, so to speak, and, and just learning how to be a leader. And that is specialty bias. Talk to us a little bit about where that term came from for you and, and, and what it means. And then uh, let's talk the three of us about how that affects our decision-making process at this next rank above sergeant. Yeah, no, definitely. I, um, so a long time ago, well, I say a long time ago, uh, when I was still an operator on the team and just discussing, I, I think I was either an assistant team leader, or maybe a team leader at the time. I, I would have discussions with my peers and I knew, noticed that we were we, we all had different comfort levels of, you know, when, when we're going to hit the gas and when we're going to hit the brakes. And some guys, it's all gas all the time, right? And some guys, it's all brakes and never any gas. And I think that we would all agree there's, you know, a, a level of compromise in there that optimizes effectiveness. It was something that, you know, trying to do some of those internal assessments and whatnot came to the conclusion that we all have uh, a, a different a, a different level of uh, comfort based off of our experience. So then as I, you know, continued to move up and was a, a team sergeant and, uh, and then obviously it's, it's even more obvious as a lieutenant and we're going through some of these planning, you know, issues or, or operational issues where we're, we have to make decisions. I noticed that the negotiators, you know, they want to negotiate the guy to death, right? The snipers want to get the guy to the window, you know, that they want a sniper initiated assault, you know, the team wants to go uh, do an entry, you know, some, and, and and all of their planning kind of goes toward that, goes toward their specialties. So in doing a little bit of research, you know, I know that um, uh, while I was not intimately familiar with it, with the medical community, that, that is where it comes from, you know, the, the concept itself where 
surgeons that specialized or doctors that specialized in a particular field tended to diagnose things with with a slant or a cant or a um, skew toward that particular field, right? Or, or that or the problem that that particular field encounters. And I think it's the same with the tactical environments. So, and, and that's okay. I, I, I mean, I think that it's it's created through like this dedication to expertise development, you know. And and so it's it's not a bad thing, but it is something that has to be harnessed. Otherwise, it can put us in a bad situation. So, um, you know, I've got one of our uh, team leaders right now, our team sergeants, that is. He's never had investigation experience, so he doesn't make decisions with, uh, you know, an investigative foundation, which is okay, as long as that is understood, you know, that he understands that and that I as the commander understand that, you know, because there's some context that may be missing when it comes to how we're going to uh, initiate a plan or something like that. And I think that that's been one of the biggest learning curves that I've had is trying to wrap my brain around how do you keep people going toward their individual expertise, but still harnessing that for the, this overall greater good, you know, and, and moving the team forward, making the best decisions, you know, that we can, that we can make. And, and it's, like I said, it's, it's been a learning curve for me for sure, because, you know, you, you move one direction and you step on toes, you move the other direction, you step on different toes. And, you know, it's not all about making uh, the subordinates happy necessarily, but they do have to feel that their value, you know, that their input is valued and uh, that they have some say so in the direction that the team's going. And then that goes right back to the, you know, that independent decision making versus waiting for guidance. So, you know, it's this, there, there's a lot of moving parts in there. And I think that, um, I, I think that the, uh, I don't know, the, the overall answer to it is, you know, you know just having some awareness of it, you know, and figuring it out on a case-by-case basis where it is that that's seeping in versus where, uh, you know, where it's valued. I think that if anyone's listening, they don't know you and I don't know you well, but I know you well enough that that's one of the burdens of leadership. Like you're telling me this and this is real to you, right? This is something that you're struggling with right now and I'm struggling with. And, and it's something we think about a lot. And for those of you that aren't in that role, it's, it's something that's, that we want to get right. Because in the end, the, even these things we're talking about, which seem like theory and concepts in, in reality, directly relate to your safety and the safety of our subordinates and the success of our operations. And that's not lost on most of us. And for those of you that are at our rank or in these positions and you're not thinking about that stuff, you need to, because you're not always going to be lucky. Is that fair right. assessment? Because I can I can hear it in your voice, like you you you're grinding on this stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, I uh, I I think that you know when it comes to the tactics and all that, I I don't know. For me personally, I feel like I've kind of bumbled and stubbed toes through everything to get to where I am. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a smooth ascension to SWAT team commander. You know, so, uh, frankly, I'm uh, surprised by it a lot of the time, but. But there's, you know, one thing that I, I know for certain is that, uh, you know, I, I love my guys. I love the team. You know, I love the, uh, the different components. You know what I mean? And, and everybody that's part of our special operations group has just a solid place in my heart. And it's, it is difficult for me to send them into harm's way. You know, like we do it and, and I'll keep doing it. But, you know, some of these, uh, some of these guys are my best friends, you know, and, and so it's, I, I think there's a double-edged sword to that for sure you know, where, you know, I, I understand the mission and we're going to accomplish the mission, but it's something that how we do that is incredibly important to me as it is to, you know, everybody that's in our position. It's important to me because it's not just the mission that's being accomplished. It's the welfare of uh, our folks. It's the ability of our agency to keep doing what it is that we need to do. You know, like Phil Hansen or Jack Enter or any of them say, you know, we, we don't, I, I didn't sign up to work for my agency specifically. That, that wasn't my dream, I should say. You know, my dream was to come and do great things for, you know, as a, as a police officer. You know, it was something that uh, I think that, you know, we, we sign up for the mission. We don't sign up for the, for the house that we work in necessarily, you know. And so, and able to keep that moving forward and keep progressing it and uh, preserve what it is that we have, we have to do it right. And, uh, you know, and that starts with taking care of our folks and understanding some of these, some of these things. And, doing some self-assessment, having some uh, emotional and uh, intelligence or trying to and uh, figuring out where we can improve. 
Yeah, you're talking about the journey, right? It's just a journey. You never get it right. You just keep moving forward. That's what's great about some of the uh, people that Cato has brought into all three of our lives, right? You're, you're talking about Phil. All these guys have so much experience and education, and they take these complex problems and they make them sound so simple, right? And that's just life experience. Uh, listen, listen, you just soak those that knowledge up. All you can't make a class on that, right? You just right. Just anything I can read, I can learn. I can be around those guys. I'm going to learn how to be a better thinker. And, and right. To me, Definitely. That's the, that how to, they're never going to give me every situation. You know, you had one this year. Nothing in your training as a sergeant or a lieutenant would probably prepare you for the combination of events that you dealt with but it's how you think that they got you through that and right and that's what we got to remember right how, how we do that yeah that and uh, and you know we the the swap gods and the luck that uh that we get sometimes you know we can't can't forget about that you know we get very lucky uh a lot of times but you know, we, we got to move, we take that not for, not as though we did a great job, but as, as for what it is, you know, and I know that in the past that, that has been something that I think that, uh, at least on our own team, we've forgotten about is, you know, we judge the operation by the ends rather than the, uh, means to get there. And, and that's not, that's not where it is. You know what I mean? It is about that journey and it is about how it is that we got there. Yeah. Luck, luck favors are prepared, right? Luck favors right. are prepared. Or in the words of uh, Odie, never confuse good luck with good tactics. I could see it's yep. on the tip of Brent's. At, at Odie says that so much. What do you got, Brent? <laughs> no, I love it, man. You're 100 right. I said I, I didn't know if it was uh, Odie or Ken Hubs. I've heard them both say it, but it came to my mind as soon as Ted said that. Man, that's something. That's kind of one of the famous taglines of Cato, right? And we see that in our industry. So Ted's Ted's talking about that. That's that really resonated with me. You know, another thing Ted talked about is kind of that leadership journey. And, and he really hit on something that I'm struggling with myself and kind of where, where I am. And Marcus, we've been through the strategic leadership program and, and um, we try to take all this stuff and apply it to a job that we're incredibly passionate about. And I know Ted is as well. The mission as Ted puts it um, is what draws us there. But um, for me, I'm also drawn to my specific organization to a certain extent, I think maybe because I'm a task-oriented, goal-oriented person, I feel like if I, I do this and then it's going to get me here and realizing that it's more abstract than that um, and that it is a constant journey and that it is a grind and that there's peaks and valleys, so to speak, um, as it relates to those things. And it's something that you never really arrive at. Um, if you were to consider somebody a great leader, doesn't mean they're always going to be a great leader. You know, that you start resting on your laurels or not continuing to grind or educate yourself or stay in tune with ground level truth. If you're not providing an accurate assessment of what's on the horizon and what's facing and what's facing you and wherever it is that you, uh, whatever sphere of influence it is that you lead, you will cease to be an effective, a decent, or an impactful leader. Um, that is something that can be lost. And, uh, you know, optimistically, it you know, means it's something that could also be regained. But I think that's, it's something to continue to work towards and, and, uh, and push towards as well. So something to, something that you said there, Ted, that really resonated, resonated with me. So thanks for that. I always think about the, the emperor has new clothes, right? I'm walking around. What am I missing? What do I not know? And have I created the environment where someone's going to look me in the eye and tell me, hey, man, you're missing this. Like you were way off on this one. Like what's my blind spot and who do I have in my life that's going to tell me this is your blind spot, right? And we've all worked for those leaders that have walked around and you're like, what planet is this person on? Because I'm seeing what's happening and what they're saying is not, not the same thing. And so I, I always worry about that. Like how, what am I doing to create that deal so that someone's keeping me from running the lemmings off the, the cliff, right? I don't sort of follow everybody. I want to have my head up and have the right situational awareness and people in my life that tell me, Hey man, you're off on this. Most of the time I feel like I have too many of those people not enough people that are telling me, Hey, you're doing okay. You're going to be all right. I, I get a lot of input. So uh, I don't think it's that way, but maybe it is right. 
Isn't that, the, uh, isn't that the balance, man? You want to build people into your life that speak truth to you. You know, it's not always fun. It's not always comfortable to be able to um, to hear those things and uh, being able to have that humility to take it back and self-assess and see where they may be right and where their perspective may be off, but just having that humility to to listen. And, and uh, that's one of the things that Jack Enter um, talks about in his podcast right in his interview that he did with uh with toby is talking about who you have in your life to be able to to talk to you about those type of things i think that's that's really really important but and for me you guys are two of the guys that um speak that into my life and so you bring a tremendous amount of value for that and uh, it's not always something that i want to hear but it's definitely something that i'm always uh i'm always needing to hear so so on a, on a personal level, thanks for being uh, those guys in my life that, that do that for me. No, I, I think, uh, you know, adding to that a little bit too, you know, as, as we move up in our organizations and we gain some rank, we generally do that because we were good at what we used to do, right? And, uh, and we developed a, a reputation for being good at what we did. Um, but then as we move up, I know that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of times we don't want to we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to lose what it is that we've gotten. And that turns into just stagnation. You know, it turns into a lack of decision-making. It turns into, you know, especially, you know, in, in the middle management ranks, you know, like the Lieutenant specifically, you know, it turns into this conduit rank where we're not really doing anything. You know what I mean? We're sitting there and we're running between the Sergeant and the captain and we're saying, well, the captain wants this and the Sergeant, you know, you know so we get the updates from the Sergeant and we go back and we tell the cat, you know what I mean? And, and I, I just, I don't know, I, I can't get much purpose out of that. And, uh, and so I, I think that it's, it, it needs to be culturally, culturally okay for us to have those disagreements to tell uh, up the chain that, you know, something doesn't make sense or to tell down the chain or, or listen to down the chain and let them challenge us, you know, and it, it's something that, uh, I don't know, you know, it's, we, we can't be stuck in this level, of, you know, with all this ego and, uh, doing it like we've always done it just because, you know, that's the, the way that it's set up, you know, paramilitary, this or that, you know, like the bottom line is that we're all uh, a bunch of professionals that are going out there to accomplish the same mission from the chief down to the newest officer. And if we're not rowing the boat in the same direction, then uh, we're losing efficiency. So it's a good point, Ted. It's hard to, um, it's hard to see it sometimes when we're all focused on our own independent perspective of the problem but looking sitting back and looking at it from a broader perspective it's you're 100 100 right and the thing that we forget sometimes in organizations being a paramilitary based organization with a hierarchy you think that you know the higher commands um you know job is you know more important or less important depending on uh, where you fall in your own perspective but that nobody's is more important than um, than the others we're all you know cogs in this wheel trying to make this wheel move and I think from a leadership perspective it's easy to lose lose sight on that and that those who are actually doing the work that their their job is more important and that we need to kind of invert that uh, that that style of thinking and be able to give them the tools the training the equipment the support to be able to 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 get those those things done because like you said you don't enjoy sending people into um a situation where their lives are at risk nobody nobody does but ultimately it's them it's them that's doing it so hopefully we're creating an environment and uh, a leadership environment where we're giving them the the best chance and, and tools tools for success and that they feel supported in the in that area i know that's a tough it's a tough tough balance no it is but we've got you know, we've got some of the best people that I've ever met as well, you know, and, and I don't say that just about our agency, but about the, the types of people that are drawn toward, um, you know, uh, mission driven careers, you know, and, and those folks are intuitive, they're innovative, they're uh, selfless, you know, they come up with all sorts of solutions to problems that, yeah, I never even thought of. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential out there as well. Yeah, I got to tell you, one of the most encouraging things I get to do uh, when Brent and I travel around for Cato is I am constantly coming back 
home and just being impressed with the quality of men and women that have dedicated themselves to serving their communities and in particularly the SWAT community, because that's what the majority of, you know, Cato's dealing with, but just in general, the, the caliber of person. And I know there's uh, you know, always mistakes people make and things that happen and we're not all rocket scientists in this job, but the, the ability to creatively think and solve these problems and the dedication overall that the majority of people that serve in law enforcement is, is amazing. And every time I, I come back with my batteries recharged and my faith restored in humanity, right? Because you can get stuck in your own shop and just look around and, and, and then you just go out and you meet, you know, folks. Uh, we were up in Humboldt in uh, February of 21. We're in San Diego. We've been in Central Valley. We've been in the Bay Area. Every time you meet these folks, it's another generation coming up behind us that are just smart, capable, trying to do the right thing. And I just look at them like, oh, my job is to just give these guys as much information, education, training, equipment, experience that I can, and then get out of the way because they're going to do they're going to do better than I did. And selfishly, that's Definitely. I think because I know I speak with you for you too that that's the reason we volunteer our this time and effort and everything that we do with Cato the classes um the 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 different things right because while we're able to take information for ourselves and be able to apply it in our own life it's also incredibly motivating and refreshing to meet you know cops from all across the state from a variety of ranks and perspectives and backgrounds and and to be able to to recognize and realize that what Ted's talking about, these are some of the best people I've had the opportunity to be able to meet and to work with. And um, it's inspiring, it's encouraging. And especially in these days where there's no shortage of cops who um, can kind of talk about how terrible things are and where things are going, it's, uh, it's incredibly refreshing and motivating to, to meet the people uh, you know, across this organization who are doing, who are doing this work. So. Thanks to, uh, to all of you that are out there that, that do that for us. Let me throw in a quick Daryl Evans quote, and then we'll give Ted the, uh, the last word here. I know we got to wind up. Daryl Evans has uh, several great quotes, and one of them is, there's uh, two things universally true for all people in law enforcement. One is they don't like how things are, and two is they don't like change. And I've never found that to be wrong, myself included. <laughs> yeah, I actually got to meet Daryl Evans at uh, our very last SLP class. And man, what a sharp guy. What a very sharp guy. Um, just continually impressed, you know what I mean, with the, the caliber of folks that Cato puts together. But um, no, I, I, like I said, in, in kind of closing things up, I, I really appreciate you guys bringing me on today. And, uh, you know, I, I know you guys both, obviously, and uh, respect you guys a bunch and listen to the show and appreciate you know, being able to come on here and talk about some stuff that's kind of near and dear to my heart as well and things that I'm kind of struggling with. And it feels a little bit like uh, each time kind of hashing it out with some peers that it gets a little bit easier, get a little bit more clarity on uh, certain things. Um, so thanks again for having me. Thank you for listening to the Cato Podcast. To become a member of Cato, check out our website at catonews.org. If you have a topic suggestion, please send them to podcast at catonews.org. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate us on the platform of your choice.